Welcome to the Energy Newsbeat Podcast. My name is Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. We got us a fantastic podcast today. Not only do we have a great podcast, we have a retread. And I mean, Tucker has been on the show before. We have Tucker Perkins. He's the President and CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council, host of the Path to Zero podcast. So we've got another podcast host. Welcome, Tucker. It was just great to be with you. I look forward to being back, and I hope this isn't my last time with you. I hope we get a chance to do this over and over. Oh, you know what? You know what's worse than having two podcasters talking to each other? (laughs) I'm not sure. What? It's three podcasters. I'm on another podcast with uh, three podcasters walk into a bar with uh, David Blackman and, and Ray Trevino, and I don't know what it is about being a podcast host. I never thought in 1977 when I graduated that I'd be a podcast host having a blast. How did you get your podcast started, Tucker? I think we we really wanted to have a different conversation than we thought was being had at the time, right? A one, maybe a more balanced conversation about this energy transformation right. uh, and to change the narrative. And so, again, not necessarily one position, right? It was about pro-energy, pro-climate, pro-health. And it's just kind of grown from there. That's why we call it Path to Zero, because we were always in quest of lowering carbon. And now I'd say zero. Zero is eminently achievable. We're we're now thinking about going way below zero. Isn't that great? I'll tell you, you know what? After having you on uh, last year, I thoroughly enjoy uh, your whole team that you work with. I've seen you all over the place. You're talking here. You're talking there. And I almost feel like a stalker. Can you tell us what you have going on with the Propane Council and everything that you have going on? Um, Tell us what you're doing because you've been out there a lot. Tell us on what your hot buttons are and what you've got going on. You know, I've been doing a good part of this role for five or six years. But to be blunt, I bet three years was spent listening, just trying to understand, not not so much taking positions, you know, certainly starting with a position that propane had been very, uh, and a very important part of the American economy about energy security for people who live beyond the natural gas mains, probably things that people in Manhattan and LA don't normally think about, right? They don't think about, you know, people that live beyond the urban areas that don't finally think a lot about urban or or national security. So but we spent three years listening to the conversation and forming, formulating some opinions about where we thought the conversation was right, maybe where it was wrong. And then now for the last four or five years, I would say I spend my time in one of three areas. Certainly, I, I come back to at my heart. I'm a technologist, right? I believe that technology you know, brought us some of these problems. Technology will bring us some of the solutions. And, you know, unlike a lot of people that say the people who created the problems could not possibly be part of the solution. I think the solutions are of such scale. They need financial strength. They need people strength. And so it's going to be companies of scale, I think, that execute it. But right. certainly a big part of my day is being involved in technology. And if we we could just talk about new engines, new hybrid powertrains, you know, right. new ways that we're going to make maybe batteries or new ways that we might make power. The other place I spend a lot of time is in people whose views aren't aligned with mine. Uh, and just understanding what people are saying about hydrogen or right. solar and wind or offshore wind or nuclear or fusion and just trying to make sure that we're as close to 
the source as we possibly can. So I spend a lot of time with national labs, uh, research institutions, universities. Uh, it's kind of how, so it is a constant, uh, you know, rattling around, not only just the U.S., but North America. And, you know, I'll be in Italy in a couple of weeks. Nice. You know, they're looking at the latest uh, innovations around a lot of technologies that we're talking about. So it's yeah, fascinating. So, oh, sorry. I, I, when I talk to you, I get so excited because I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about 16 other things that I've seen on you or th- that. When you go around the world and you're espousing the greatness of your propane and, and that it is a wonderful product because I've got three propane tanks. By the way, I love it. I mean, I'm calm. I love my propane, and uh, I, I don't. I really don't want to have uh, just pure electric. I think working with the government, like you know, you we've we know that they want to cancel gas stoves. Well, I don't want them canceling my propane either. I don't want them saying, "Hey, you cannot have your propane," because the way I have my houses set up is that you have propane as a heat source. And if the the heat, you know, I lose power, I still got heat, you know, I've got them backed up in different areas. So I don't, even if I get natural gas, I'm keeping my propane. (laughs) Yeah. And to your point, when we go around the country, I would say, or go around the world, I would say our goal is not to espouse the benefits of propane. It's to double check our assumptions that propane, using propane is environmentally sound is healthy. And so we're always making sure, and it's a really different nuance, I might add. We're not trying to sell more propane. We're trying to understand how propane fits in this energy transformation. And I would say, as we sit here today, you know, in this day and time, at this time of the day, we're still convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that using propane and to a degree using natural gas, it's the right thing for countries today. And as you and I were talking earlier before we came to the show, I think people just look for this magic that certainly there's got to be one pill that will make us all have more hair and be thinner. Hey, hey. (laughs) for our podcast listeners, listeners, I'm sitting here talking to Tucker. Tucker is extremely good looking man because he and I have the same barber. We have flesh colored hairlines. (laughs) It's not great. Our our barber does just fine. But wouldn't it be nice if we could wait for a pill that would make us, you know, look like John Lennon or and 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 we step over so many opportunities to, in fact, improve the climate, improve our health, guarantee our energy security, bring to what you're talking about, you know, resilience, but not at a cost of increased carbon. So we're traveling around the world doing really one of three things checking out technology, seeing the story of what's working with others. And I find Europe has been this great test lab for us. Right. Because Europe has been four or five years ahead of us in many things. And right now you see them backpedaling as fast as they can because they realized they had they had overreached, right? They they were, I mean, Germany to me is a classic example, almost lost their manufacturing base, right? They did. And if you talk about my honest opinion, Volkswagen has shut down their one of their uh, plants right now. They've closed their largest uh, steel uh, or excuse me, iron ore plant this just uh, last month. They've closed B BSF uh, has just closed their na- uh, fertilizer plant. They've had three other plants that have um, instead of building in Germany, moved on to some other else. 
their uh, decisions and their investments into the energy. And, and I'm sorry, I get excited because talking about geopolitical issues and energy, Tucker, you and I talked about this on our last podcast, and that is elevating humanity with the lowest cost kilowatt per hour or low cost sustainable uh, fuel like propane to cook on gets people out of poverty when we can do that. And Germany failed by not having long-term natural gas contracts. And then they threw away their nuclear. They shut down their three largest, their, their last three reactors this year. They then turned around and started buying power from other countries that were using coal. So here they are thinking that they're using only renewable. Two weeks ago, they then turned around, Tucker, and they just took down the wind farms. Do you remember when uh, Greta was out there and she was throwing that hissy fit that they actually caught it and it was a publicity stunt when they were trying to close down the... the coal mine. They closed down the coal mine for uh, uh, for a wind farm. They now fired that coal mine back up and took down that wind farm. So you know right. it's sitting there going. They have wasted trillions on this thing. And Stu, that so you know I'm so emphatic about not calling it an energy transition because I say all the time transitions are smooth and slow, and you might not even realize you transitioned. Right? It's so easy yeah. and. And this is not a transition. And people worry about, well, people will lose their job. People will lose their jobs might be the simplest and least painful part of this. Right. As you as you just described for Germany, countries could lose their GDP over this. Yes. And I don't, I don't find, and I, what, I, what fascinates me to all those geopolitical things you just spoke to, it's, I mean, not one thing you just said is false. Everything you just said is factually correct. Right. Yet, Yet so many other uh, regimes are following that same path. Right. And, and so to my, point, there, to my point, a living lab exists 3,000 miles to our east. And yet we tend to think, oh, well, we'll do it differently. Right. Um, and here we do sit on, you know, the most uh, uh, voluminous natural gas play uh, and, and therefore natural gas liquids like propane as well. And so to your point earlier. There's so much to be learned. And by the way, you're talking you and I are talking about developed countries. Right. You know, when we start talking about developing countries, I was uh, not in South Africa, but I was with the South Africans. And, you know, we're talking about renewable fuels. And they said, you know, Tucker, we aspire. Our goal is to be able to use conventional propane. We're you know, we're we're trying to move away from charcoal and wood. And, uh, you know, if we could get to propane, we would be so much better. We'd have a stable economy. We'd have a healthier people. We'd have a more vibrant uh, economy. You know, Tucker, if 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 we were not on a pod, if we were doing a podcast in person, we'd stop right now and I'd hug you because this is about humanity. And it drives me nuts that we're forcing the transition. As you say, a transition should be like nothing's happening, but we're forcing it in China with their Belt and Road Initiative is they're forcing in the African nations. They're using a lot of their heavyweight and they're saying, uh, and I do a lousy Putin imitation as well. But, you know, maybe I could do a better Z imitation. But if you go, hey, we're going to give you all these windmills at 70% interest um, and go ahead and we'll install them. But then you got to have the grid. You got to have the resiliency. You got to have all this stuff. And we're charging 
a higher kilowatt per hour to the African nations by forcing them to go to solar and and wind when I love them. But propane makes much more sense for that environment to get them cooking, to get them to those areas. Um, I love what you yeah. just said. I think you can tell that's yeah. my hot button. Why is Africa not using their natural gas and their natural resources to make propane to to go to this yeah. level? Yeah, you're Sorry. exactly right. I mean, I work in in Africa, you know, quite a bit because because right. there there is a chance to create a completely different style of energy, right? And right. really, by and large, there's not really a network now. And you know, we've kind of studied an LNG network, which makes little to no sense. Right. But four million or, or around three point eight million people die every year from indoor air pollution. And right. and this is a story. It's, we were just having this discussion this morning. It's a story that doesn't resonate very well in America when we talk about it. To me, it is the epitome of a life changing situation. If we can move a woman right. and her children who might spend eight to 10 hours a day foraging for fuel, which is right. not easy. It's very dangerous. Uh, tending fire. Right. And along the way, 3.8 million people die every year from indoor air pollution. Right. And we change that. So now when they're ready to heat their water to make cook rice or whatever, it's right. an instantaneous thing. And now what we find is all of a sudden education is in the realm for not only the mother, but her children. And also the female leaders who have been just completely consumed with preparing for their homes. Now they become valuable members of their society. And Isn't that cool? It, it is, it's the total transition that you want to talk about, right? Uh, people with no yep. hope having all kinds of hope, empowerment of strong female leaders, education of their children, a healthier environment. Uh, healthier people. It's and and that I think people just don't understand. And that that actual same thing applies right. into the U.S. Um, yep. You know, you know one, one of the pro, one of the projects we've been involved with, and it, it's fascinating to me that we never talk about it. You know, we think about cars and trucks and other things, and right. and the truth is they're all pretty clean, right? At the end of the right. day, there are a lot of them. They're in, in total, they, they're fairly polluting, but each one individually is pretty clean because of all these controls. Right. We have we have been working with lawnmowers, commercial lawnmowers, and oh. by cleaning up one commercial lawnmower that used to run on diesel or gasoline now runs on propane, it's the equivalent of removing four cars off the road. And wow. so we have all of these opportunities that people don't think about to to make significant changes in our own air quality while yet improving our health and improving our economic. So we, we yeah. try to we try to tell that story of how things are working in Africa and bring it back to the U.S., but it rarely resonates. It's interesting to me that it doesn't seem to get a lot of traction. You know, and it's because we're uh, too... Americans are short-sighted and we have blinders on. We don't see what the rest of the world sees. I think Alex Epstein yeah. really says it best in his book. And I've had the fortune of interviewing him on my podcast twice. And he is about humanitarian, just like you and I talked about, humanitarian and energy. It's about the, using the energy to change exactly what you just described, Tucker. You, you described it perfect. And that is, it's a, living is about energy. How much energy do you have to use to go get food? How much energy do you have to use to cook that food? How much energy use 
the the best source of energy and propane is by far one of the best. Like in my my situation, three propane tanks. I've got two propane generators now. And so that I can run two of the houses off propane generators in an emergency. I just go flip a switch and I've got propane generators sitting there that run off of my propane tanks that I also heat with. So I kind of right. like my propane. And, what, and the story that. people don't tell, in fact, it's just because it's not being told, but I, we were studying it, is that propane that you use today, it is radically different from the propane that was used 100 years ago. And that appliance yes. you're using it in is radically different. And now, I would say long before this conversation about the environment was even anywhere in our in our conscious, we were talking about having more efficient devices because we knew not only did they pollute less, they cost less to operate. They're things that customers would want to right. have, right? And I know it's it's a little bit, you know, of an enigma. Why would a propane companies want to have more efficient appliances because each right. one uses less? And the answer is because we're in this for the long haul, right? Right. Where we know that you you would switch to a heat pump if a heat pump was more comfortable, cost less. Was right. I mean, right? So I don't. It's there's so many aspects of this. But to your point, and I'm always glad when you make it, the abundance of affordable and reliable energy right. is is not up for debate because people, we're seeing it in Germany, we're seeing it in right. France, people will do what they have to do to get to have affordable and reliable energy. It might mean right. they have to move from their country. Um, and and that's happening. Do, do you know yeah. what, and I, I found this interesting. I talked to somebody uh, from uh, Bulgaria the other day and Romania uh, a couple of uh, Poland are now becoming some of the best retirement spots because of energy, because of also the borders. So now in, in you take a look at where people want to retire, people want to retire with low cost energy. Your GDP, Tucker, you nailed it. GDP is just part of low cost energy. Propane is one of the, the easiest transportable fluids out there. It's not like LNG where you have it liquefied natural gas and it has to right. be. Right. What are some of the things that we can improve? Because it is a lower carbon uh, footprint fuel, period. I mean, it is phenomenal. How do we get that mindset? Because what you're doing is more critical to anything, Tucker, and that's education. People yeah. don't know that it's that good and that low of a fuel burning. I mean, a polluting fuel. First, we've got the science that supports, right? So today, 60% right. of the grid in the U.S., is comprised from burning coal or oil or natural gas. And we right. kind of know what the carbon numbers are from all of that. And we're very comfortable when we say that, you know, because the mantra is we need to get rid of fossil fuels and move to more electricity, which if people realize that, okay, let's get rid of coal, oil, but let's continue to have electricity that comes from coal and oil, right? That's It's it's fallacious thinking. And, right. um you know, so where, where we know with propane is that, and we, we tell this to builders and forklift operators and fleets every day, is right. that you can take great comfort in using propane today. Propane today is cleaner than the electric grid in 38 of the 50 states today. Yes. And, and I would say three <laughs> years ago, I wouldn't speak so eloquently or comfortably about renewable fuels. Right. But just a small story, probably five years ago, as I'm in California, I'm at high level meetings with CARB and uh, they're like, I'm talking about these efficient engines and how how important propane is to the economy of California. And they said, right. what's your path to zero? Well, I don't have one. 
I don't I don't need one. I already have a fuel that's abundant and, and relatively inexpensive. And the emissions are cleaner than anything you're using today in California. And right. they said, again, what's your path to zero? Without a path to zero, you're not going to be a part of our conversations. And we really took that to heart. Not that we necessarily agreed with it in the short term, but right. I agreed with them in the long term. And so as I sit today, I, I think the promise of renewable natural gas is real, right? I right. think the promise of renewable propane is equally real. And so we're telling people, nation states, politicians, uh, youth fleet managers, okay. people who live at home, you can take great comfort in putting in a propane furnace, a propane water heater, a propane generator in yeah. your home or business, knowing that today it runs on conventional propane. And maybe 15 or 20 years from now, it might run on exclusively renewable propane, carbon now, zero fuel, and somewhere in between blends of both. Let me let me ask this, because there are I work with several uh, companies and one of them is uh, like from Deborah Wald from Green Lily. They can take landfill and they can turn that into gasoline. They can take it into almost anything that you want. And there, is that what you're referring to when you're talking about um, renewable propane, taking it from other sources or what technology are you talking yeah. about that? Because I, I you, you said that and I like, ding, let's see about how we espouse renewable propane because propane by far is one of the best ones out there. Right. Sorry, I didn't mean and to. And we're never an apologist. <laughs> we're never an apologist for conventional propane with a carbon intensity right. in our world of 79 and going south. But right. but to your point, so yeah, for the in, in the instance you just suggested, landfill gas, which I right. do believe is predominantly where renewable natural gas comes from and will continue to right. come from. You're talking about uh, a conversion of landfill gas to renewable gasoline. Right. That exact same process also makes renewable propane. Nice. And so and so someone can decide, I have this landfill gas. Do I want to make renewable natural gas? Do I want to make gasoline? Do I want to make sustainable jet fuel? Do I want to make renewable propane? And maybe I want to make three or four products here. But, you know, Sue, that's, we probably have 14 pathways that get from waste material. Could be methane that's currently being flared right. from a gas field. It could be uh, methane that's coming out of a landfill. It might be used cooking oil. Uh, right. In fact, one of the one of the plants that have just come online this quarter is takes a, a non-food cover crop planted in fallow land that the farmers, you know, have just had sitting. Right. Uh, easily combines, crushes into oil, and that oil easily turns into renewable propane. So all of a sudden, wow. the grasslands um, can grow this again. Very important non-food cover crop, drought tolerant. And so there, there's so many creative ways. Remember, I said at the beginning of this, I'm basically a technologist. I'm looking I'm looking for ways that technology can solve this problem. And cool. we're never at a loss. We're never at a loss to find examples of how to reduce carbon emissions today and do it in a way that's cost effective. And by the way, probably does it in a way that makes you healthier. So right. climate makes our planet healthier. Right. right. It's really important that we think about the implications for our personal health. And yep. uh, and, and huh. I mean, things like NOx emissions and SOx emissions, things that give us bronchitis and asthma and COPD okay. uh, or give us cancer, like particulate matter. And right. so we're equally obsessed with improving the condition of the planet 
while improving the health of the people that live on it and making it important. This is such an important conversation. You and I are having a great time, but it's important. Let's take Pakistan for a second. Pakistan has got such horrible, horrible inflation. And uh, earlier this year, David Blackman and several others were writing stories about kids taking natural gas and putting them into garbage bags and hauling that to the, the area. The grid is so unreliable in Pakistan that they don't have that. They don't have the fuel. They don't have the wood. They don't have anything to do. And so you can't even get there. Taking Pakistan is one extreme, but now we have the other third world country, California, that is facing some of these things and the high cost. And now I just, I always love throwing that out there. I'm not going anywhere with it. I just like saying third world <laughs> world country. Sorry. Uh, but California is even using some really stupid ranges. California could really benefit from more rural use or other ideas in, in uh, switching I think they would be a better path to zero if they wanted to use this instead of going to electric trucks, going to propane trucks. I guarantee you there would be less emissions in easier transfer. And I'm telling you right now, because by the time you take the batteries, you take the weight, you take the kids that are being abused in, in the Congo for, uh, you know, the critical minerals, you take all of the other critical minerals that China is going to be using. Then you take all of these other things and the batteries that are going to go on in, in that you flip because you can flip engines, uh, ice engines to propane fairly easily. I mean, the technology would be very easy, correct? Yeah, we're in a we're in a partnership with Cummins where the engine technology that's coming to the market in just a few years is outrageous. But you can can I just say you are yes. so right? And I think again, this is where the narrative is wrong because most people think because my Tesla is fun to drive, that that same thing would apply to a class A truck that's delivering 80,000 pounds of bananas. And that the whole powertrain, there's nothing the same. And the no. bad, I mean, I think the chairman of Toyota, I loved it when he said it, because he said, battery minerals are precious, right? And, and let's, right. let's be real, they're not an American uh, resource, right? Battery minerals and the processing of them today is largely controlled by China, China or Chinese. Yes. They they are light years ahead of us in that technology. And I think no matter how hard we try, no matter how good our intentions are, we're not going to have a lot of mineral processing in America. So no. so you, can I just say we study these numbers almost daily. And and what you said, you said, I bet. Let me assure you, you'd be right. <laughs> Medium duty and heavy duty transportation. Right. You know, you can electrify a truck that goes 60 or 70 miles and carries potato chips or flowers. I, I don't I don't think we care about that. But the typical truck is is really needing to have a payload of 80,000 pounds and run six or seven hundred miles every day. That's not a case for electrification today. Again, I said I'm a technologist. The batteries of the future, and I don't know whether that's 2035 right. or 2050, they might look different. But until that point, we would be infinitely better off. And by the way, people think that that transformation is without cost to them. Let's just put it in perspective right now. If right. a battery electric truck costs three times what a diesel truck costs today, and the right. operating range is such that you need five, where previously you had three, do you think pays that cost? Consumers pay that cost. And we're, it's inevitable that they pay those costs. I mean, so 
you know, there are things we can do today that would improve our situation today. And using propane and medium duty, heavy duty transportation is the epitome of one of those things. You know, okay. Um, I just, uh, we had an article go out on Energy Newsbeat and it was the world's largest lithium deposit found along the Nevada, Oregon border. Okay. That's great, but it takes 30 years for a mine to get ready in the U.S. And then you have the regulations or excuse me, the legislation through regulation. It might not even ever happen. You nailed it with us not having that. So, And once again, we're not even to that point because that particular deposit is in an area that's very sensitive and important to a lot of people, not the least of which I believe was NASA, right? So, <laughs> so a classic example where almost everywhere we look in America, someone, right. and I believe rightfully so, may want to say, wait, right? It, it could be in the national interest to develop this, but it's not in our community's best interest. And I, right. I just think that's going to happen over and over and over again. Now, again, I'm a technologist. I tend to believe we're going to figure out how to get by without lithium and less cobalt. Right. Um, I don't see us right now. We've not made great strides in thinking about batteries as a key part of energy security. You know, we continue to electrify and be re reliant on minerals that we don't really control. And as a technologist, I was looking, uh, I'm not, I, I want to be one someday. So maybe I can hang out with you a little more. NASA just put out a hydrogen mix battery that they're looking to gain some technology on because I, I, I love the idea of hydrogen. It takes so much water. Uh, it is a really drain on the the whole process of making it. Then you have the rainbow of hydrogen. You have white, which they finally discovered a bunch of natural white hydrogen. And then you have green hydrogen, which is based off of wind or solar. And then you have gray, green, blue, turquoise. Um, you know, it, you almost can't keep your head straight. And hydrogen, they say, oh, goes through the natural gas pipelines, but it's too small and it escapes. Kind of like, you know, me going to the refrigerator in the middle of the night, I escape. And as soon as that door opens up, my <laughs> wife goes, what the heck are you doing? You know, uh, anyway. I mean, sorry. hydrogen is another one of those silver bullet fantasies yes. that everyone says, let's continue to drive our diesel cars. Let's continue to live the lifestyle we live while we wait for hydrogen. And, and to your point, people say, well, does the color matter? I'm like, the color is the only thing that perhaps does matter because why would you steam methane reform natural gas to make hydrogen, which it, I don't know, roughly 14 BTUs of energy to make a BTU energy. Thank you for calling out the intense water demands in a world now that's water that needs to think about water as a, a resource, just like they think of gold, silver and oil. Right. Water well, the, is a critical resource. The so world why would, sorry, we, why would we do it if it doesn't benefit the environment? Well, but we're going to wait for hydrogen. That's we're going to wait for fusion. And and we just do what I think dreamers do, which let's continue to eat pie. And, you know, we won't exercise because we'll wait for that pill when, in fact, there are things we could do today. There are things we should be doing. You've already yes. mentioned a couple of them. Use propane. uh to power that medium duty, heavy duty transportation fleet. Right. Use low carbon fuels that are domestically produced, sound, affordable, and are reducing their carbon content every day. Uh, and, and it's not the narrative that we're having right now. You know, Tucker, I, I just, I'm so, I, I'm enjoying our conversation so much and that um, you're doing 
what needs to happen, and that's having the conversation and inviting people on your podcast, invite and doing what you're doing as a true public speaker. You're out there. You're you're traveling the world. You're talking to folks, and you're learning. I loved your converse, your comment, Tucker. What did I do for the first three years? I listened. Holy smokes. Yeah. I wish I could listen. I can't. Sorry, I'm a podcast host. I can't listen. <laughs> well, I mean, look, every week I'm probably amazed in both directions, right? I'm amazed sometimes about a conversation that I believe is so wrong, so erroneous, so injurious to maybe our climate or our health or our right. ability to execute that. But the flip side of it is, you know, I bump into technologies almost weekly that I'm like, yeah, this this is a part of the solution. And right. uh, and you wonder, how come we didn't do that 10 years ago? Why was that not thought of? And I just think, you know, everybody talks about artificial intelligence. I'll push that over in the corner. The truth is, you know, we just keep learning from our learnings and now modern computer uh, engineering, quantum fluid dynamics, you know, this they allow us to think about things differently than we did even 10 years ago. And some of the technology that's coming out is insane, but we don't need to wait for some of that technology to see significant improvements today. Oh, Tucker, I just appreciate you so much. And I can't wait to visit with you again. Um, let's wait. Let's not make it a year before you come back again. But tell us how to get a hold of you and how to get a hold of your podcast again, because we want to make sure that that's in the show notes for you. And the podcast is fun because we'll talk carbon capture to meteorology to fission to fusion to, you know, just you you pick it. We're talking about it. a lot of talk about environmental equity and justice in ways that I think people can understand. So that podcast is found where pe most people find their podcast. It's called Path to Zero. Okay. You can also find it at a website that we're really trying to make maybe a place for everyone to go to learn more about propane or renewable propane. And fortunately, that website's called propane.com. And cool? you know, while we love to talk to builders or forklift operators or fleets, the truth is we can also talk to people who are interested in this environmental conversation. There's a there's a tab there about for the environment. And we're just we're trying to to redo that website a bit now to make some of these conversations a little bit more prominent. Yep. And again, we clearly have a point of view, but it's a place for people to go and learn and and maybe interact with us a bit about differing points of view. And we I, I, as long as we are all in the same goal of improving right. the climate improving our health and doing it in ways that we can afford. Right. And we are want to be a part of that solution. That's where we are. Isn't that cool? Now, how do people get a hold of you for public speaking or for things like that? Or who do they get a hold of at your uh, group? Well, I think they can certainly find if they go to propane.com, they can certainly find all kinds of ways to get to me. So that's fine. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But if I'm, I mean, we're, we are, we really are speaking all over the country and listening. And, you know, we, <laughs> we appear at conferences quite regularly, sometimes as a speaker and sometimes just as in the audience to, to listen. Um, and well, it's fun, a, man. it's a lovely journey. One I'm proud to be given an opportunity to do. And, um, it, because the conversation is nowhere near even in the first inning, right? We know this. We're, and, we are, you know, starting to think about the World Series. We'll use our baseball analogy. We we, we are hardly in the top of the first inning. Uh, I would agree, but I applaud you and your your uh, humanitarian view of energy. Because I I think it's all about elevating humanity out of poverty through energy. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's always just a pleasure. Make me feel better at the end of the conversation than when I start. Thank you. 
<laughs> I wish I could do that to my wife. <laughs> 